When do I know it's time to jump from a sinking nonprofit ship? When you ask that question. <laughs> that was exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> that was exactly what I was going to say. If you'd asked me that, that would have been my exact answer Great back to you. Minds, the right? moment you ask that question is, the, is when you need to bail. Oh man, right? There is <laughs> there's such a laundry list here, and I think it depends on if if you're a staff, you know, just kind of a um, an executive director, or if you're you know not an ED, like that may vary. But I mean, for me, I think there's a handful of things. I mean, first of all, I'm just like you. We've we've gotten those questions, Andy, where people talk about the leadership. They, they can't stand the leadership mm-hmm. or the culture or all that stuff. Yep. I think if you can't live with that and there's no ability to influence that, you got like, it's time to leave. Right. Cause, yep. and honestly, poor leadership is probably going to lead to a, the nonprofit ship continuing to sink. Um, I think you have to think about reputational risk. So if you think there's things being done, even if they're not necessarily like illegal, but things that you think could um, create a risk for you as an organization to be a, like a bad headline on the front page of the paper. Like, I think you got to think about whether you want to be associated with the organization if there is a potential for it to go down. Now, like all these things I say, what I what I sort of keep in mind is if there's opportunity to influence change in it, and this goes back to that leadership thing, like then maybe you try to change it if you're committed enough. But if it's really just improper stuff or like there's all these allegations that seem to keep coming from staff about harassment or whatever the issue is, like it's uh, uh, to me, that's time. Like to me, I'd be like, run for the hills. Mm -hmm. My favorite expression, right? Um, I mean, the money thing, like, oh, barely. If you hear like, oh, we're barely able to make payroll all the time. That's not good, right? Yeah. Yeah. So those are a few off the top of my head. There's probably a million more. Yeah. And, and you're right. It depends on what role you're in. Right. I was, I was taking the, the question as a staff question. Like yeah. if you're staff and you think the organization's going under, like don't waste your time. Right. Yeah. If you're, if you are in a leadership position, if you're on the board and the, and the nonprofit is sinking, maybe it's time to figure out why. Yeah. Like, can you, can you put your finger on the root cause? Does the, does the organization just no longer need to exist? Is it, is the the mission itself and the business model just not compelling? Is it not is it not something that's going to respond to people with enough force that you're going to be able to make enough money to make it thrive? Um, th- there are plenty of really good, important missions out there that are not wide enough known or or have enough juice to really support a big nonprofit. It's just not possible that you need to, you need to have a core group of donors that's interested in solving that particular problem. If you don't have that core group of donors or they're too wide, too widespread, or they're too difficult to reach, or the thing that you're working on is complicated in other ways that make it hard to raise money. It might just not be a viable, you know, the the mission might be good, but the organization might not be good. And that, and that's a, that's another time you just need to kind of look all the way back at like, does this thing need to exist? Can we, Maybe we fold into somebody else. Right. Maybe we, you know, maybe we just like throw in the towel and go, hey, we tried. Yeah. Well, it's sort of like it's it, that kind of strikes for me also the idea of you see nonprofits that maybe it's it's someone who was passionate about a very unique like uh, whatever. They, they created it out of passion about something very unique that happened in their life or that they became familiar with. But there is no like external support. So like I think if you're an organization that literally you are just staying in between your four walls and it is like your founder and their friends and family and you can't get beyond that with yeah. other partners, right, with other support in the community, with with anything like that, then that's I, to me, that's a bad sign, too. Like, OK, we we just don't have a mission, right. That's compelling enough, attractive enough, or meets a 
big enough need to like move forward. So that goes back to your point. Maybe it is folding in or maybe you shouldn't exist at all. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we haven't talked about nonprofit mergers in a long time. That question yeah. hasn't come up in a long time again, because it's something that's so, so hard to do. Yeah. It's one of those things that funders talk about all the time, right? We, why don't you guys just merge together? And, and even, even organizations who are in the exact same community doing the exact same work with no difference at all, like no differentiation between the two organizations it's almost impossible for them to merge, even when it makes 100% sense, mm-hmm. because you just don't have, you know, you've got two boards of directors, you've got two executive directors, you're going to end up with twice as many of everybody. And then what do you do then? Like yeah. somebody's going to get fired and nobody's going to ever want to talk about that. So it's just a hard, it's a hard thing to do in the nonprofit sector. It's not something that anybody's solved. If anybody has any ideas, I'd love to hear them. That's something that we've talked about for a really long time. Mm-hmm. So how do you, how do you encourage organizations to merge and there's, there's no levers. There's no, no way to make it a win for everybody. No, it's tough. The other thing, this question, like I'm thinking about from an executive director standpoint, I, I think there's a lot of EDs out there that if they feel like they have no support from their board, like none, they don't have any kind of relationship. They can't, they've tried all the, you know, all the tricks in the book they've tried. Uh, To me, I would, at some point you have to say, okay, if that is, kind of debilitating or really not getting us where we need to go, maybe it's time to leave. Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit with your host, Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. I am here with the brainiac of all brainiacs, Andy Schurecht. And uh, he hates it, I think, when I tell him that. Don't you, Andy? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I call him a brainiac because he knows so many so much stuff that is not my expertise. So I feel humbled to be joining him doing this, uh, being the co-host of this podcast. And of course, this is a production of the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits. Check them out. If you're not familiar, good organization to join to just kind of ramp up your uh, education and knowledge of all things nonprofit, in addition to listening to the website, or I mean, listening to the podcast, of course. And you can send us questions at any time, uh, track us down, hunt us down. Uh, social media works. The nonprofiteverything.com website has a contact us where you can submit questions, whatever. We want to hear from you is the bottom line. So uh, make that your call to action. Enjoy this episode. your agency makes the decision about staff raises? Is it the board with a recommendation from the ED or is it the ED? And if it is the board, how into the weeds do they get? This, I don't like this question at all. <laughs> like this terrifies uh, me. It, well, it terrifies you. Yeah. Well, so I think it depends on the size of the order. Like every, like it's almost like every single question we answer should start with the caveat. It depends on the size of the organization. Yes, it really should. So if there is an ED and there is staff, so the, the, the purpose of the board, the only raise that the board should be considering is for the executive director or whoever's in that top chief executive role. That's the only one they get to have conversations about. That's the only one they get to directly respond to. 
they get to decide what that person's bonus is, what that person's raise is, what that person's pay is, contract terms, all that kind of stuff. Everything else, they get to say yes or no to the budget that is provided to them as part of the annual budgeting process. All of this staff raises information, like how you're going to determine what it is, how much money they get, do they get bonuses, all that kind of stuff needs to be baked into that budget. You see part of that budget plan and you need to come up with something that's much more complicated than uh, 2%, right? That's stupid. That's a complete waste of everybody's time. And it shows that you're being really, really lazy about it. There needs to be, so for sophisticated nonprofits and any sophisticated organization, because this isn't a specific nonprofit question, this is an organizational question, right? Everybody needs to have some sort of written down rule about how raises happen and how bonuses happen. Like that needs to be, that needs to be written written down in some form that you can look back at it for lots of reasons. Number one, your staff doesn't want to um, feel, your staff, one of the worst things you can do is make your staff feel like raises and bonuses are capricious and we made it up just at the moment because of who we like and who we don't like. Right. It just makes people uncomfortable. There needs to be a there needs to be a process. The process needs to be formalized and they need to understand what the parameters are. So like the the very common way to do this is to start with a strategic plan, roll all the way down into departmental plans, which then roll into individual plans. And then these people have goals. You're scored on those goals, depending on how you're scored. That then applies to a particular bonus percent or a particular raise percentage, particular bonus percentage that's based on that. Right. So. Where this goes completely sideways for nonprofits a lot of times is that revenue is their biggest challenge. Cash flow and revenue is their biggest challenge. They don't feel comfortable. We don't feel comfortable a year and a half in advance when we're putting the budget together to say that we're going to have 3% more money than we do right now to be able to give everybody a 3% raise if everybody hits the target. So, So that has to be baked into this really complicated budgeting process where you say like we've made the agreement that people are going to get raises between zero and three percent based on their performance goals historically that turns out to be 2.1 percent or 1.9 percent or three percent if we're really easy um and so that gets baked into the budget that we're going to get approved by the board and we need to figure out if we've got revenue to do that and how we're going to do the the calculus between what goes to programs and what goes to direct services and what goes to grants out the door and what goes to our staff. So like, this is a bigger question than like, is it the board? Cause no, it's not the board. It's never the board. It should be right. something much more complicated than that. And I, I I'm afraid that whoever asked this question is going to like be really depressed at the answer. <laughs> unless the answer, unless the answer they wanted was tell the board to shut up. It's not their business. <laughs> okay. But, but I, I have, I want to throw a couple of caveats in here and see uh, how you would respond. So we know so many, you know, so many times because revenue ebbs and flows and it's hard to predict. And sometimes you get a like windfall of money that you didn't expect so so what happens, right? You're mid-year. You've gotten your approved budget that was based, you know, and, and the raises or the, the staff, you know, salaries were dependent on, on how much money you had, how much money you thought you were going to bring in. And now you got like this windfall and you're like, oh, we want to do more for staff. So, so what, in, what happens in that case, Andy? Like, like, is that because now is it just more of a, the board is approving an amended budget if you want to adjust 
like and and bump up staff salaries or give a staff bonus of some sort? Maybe. I'm so it depends. I mean, that's a different question is like, how do you manage yeah. budget variances? Like if, if you yeah. have a bumper year, you got a, a $3 million grant you weren't expecting in the middle of the year, what are you going to do with it? So it's, it, is it enough money to be able to have to go back to the board and say, you know what, we said we were going to do this. We got so much more resources. We feel like we can do more or we got so much more resources and this would be a really good time to make sure that our cash flow situation is under control for the next 10 years. Like, so what's your recommendation? And if you're going to do a big budget modification, maybe you do need to go to the board and say, um, this is significant enough. And I've done that. This is significant enough that we need to look at the budget again. Um, and it happens both ways, right? Either like we expected this, the donor died and now it's in like they did their will was, is being contested and now we need to worry about whether or not this is going to happen this year or maybe not even five years from now when the whole thing gets sorted out. So um, do we we need to do a budget modification because we can't spend the money we said we we're going to spend because we don't have it. So what? Do we, how do we deal with that? Um, so if it's significant enough, yeah, you can go to the board and ask for, you know, say our budget is going to be new. But again, you're not you shouldn't be asking on that granular level. You shouldn't right, be saying right. like. I would like to do X. It's part of the plan that you're presenting to them that should be complete. It should be, here's where we are now. This is what we want to do. Here's our budget. And the board can discuss it, but they should either say, awesome, that sounds great, do that. Or no, I don't like it. It feels risky. Or I would like you to do other things with that money, right? Those are kind of their three right. options, right? Not, right. right. Not, oh, Steve is a jerk and I don't want him to get any bonus at all. Right. <laughs> right. But the, the board right, should never, ever right, have that right. level. That's of- where it gets dangerous. No, I totally agree with that. And I also think, I mean, what I have seen around like sort of a, I guess it's a middle ground to this. It's also just a smart, prudent idea. I think some, you know, you'll hear like a temporary or ad hoc committee get developed or like task force ad hoc, you know, whatever, like ad hoc committee for the board that says, this is going to be our compensation evaluation committee. And it's it's not about the individuals, but it's about let's look at, and let's say you have a couple HR professionals on your board and they serve on this committee with the executive director and whomever. Like, hey, let's do together an analysis of fair pay, equitable pay, like salary ranges that like can help if the executive director, because I see a lot of times executive directors really wanting to lean on I, I think in some ways, EDs want to lean, some EDs want to lean on their board for this stuff because they want to be able to like not be the bad guy. Like, right. Like I think there's this weird thing that can happen. And instead, that's not really, that's not a good, that's not at all a good practice to get into because that causes a whole host of confusion about board roles and responsibilities. But I also think there are times where like you could say, we're going to have this committee that's going to truly do like an evaluation of salary structure. And if you as a board member want to serve on it, great, but it's not about like, yeah, the individual personalities or it's about like, what are we doing for comp studies? What's a fair wage for this position? What's like, how do we determine raises? I mean, I personally would rather see that stay internal and not even involve the board. But I I do hear more and more boards creating these like comp committees just, um, I, I don't know, to provide the oversight of this piece. Yikes. Uh, I hate yeah, that. yeah, and it's I know, and it's happening. Like it's happening fairly frequently, and I'm just going, wow. Like, but 
But I would rather though, like Andy, I guess my point is, and I'm curious to know if, if you could even move there. Like, could you move there? Could you get to a middle ground where it was like, okay, we have a a comp committee that's really doing, like because they have the HR expertise that's going to help you as the ED think through this because maybe you're not good at this area. Like, could you live with that? Because see, I could live with that more than I could the other like original, like, is this a board? Like, does the board decide staff raises? Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like I want it based in some sort of foundational, like, analysis, right? Like analysis by professionals and experts. And if you don't have that internal like strength, can you lean on your board members to help you with that? Maybe. So, But you, I would, but I would, you hate it. You still I hate it. I certainly yeah. lean on. I hate it. I would lean on board members to help you if you don't have a, a um, performance review process, like a really good performance review process in place. Like that's where you lean on board members because a lot of them works for work for big companies that have these really complicated things that they've implemented, right? So you can borrow yeah. them to put the performance review process in place, like steal everything you can from them. Um, I agree a hundred percent that comp studies can be good um, because only if you're using them for appropriate ranges to try to figure out what the range is, not to try to you know, artificially depress salaries that are people being paid because yeah. part of the problem with comp studies in the nonprofit sector is it's sort of reflexive, right? You're looking at, it's like axiomatic. You're looking at people that are paid low and you're using that as justification to continue to pay people low right? because yeah. somebody else does yeah. it, right? But you should use yeah. that for, you know, we always try to use it for the ranges whenever I work with nonprofits and we'd be talking about that. We use it to look at the ranges, like what's the bottom, what's the top? You probably want to be in somewhere in there, right? You don't want to yeah. be at the bottom, probably don't want no. to be at the top. Maybe you should be somewhere in the middle, right? And it's, right. it says that the range is appropriate for that position, right? Um, the, but, but no, I don't, I don't want to see the board in. So, okay. So, but actually let's take it back one more step and say, like, look at the, the overall role of each individual person in the nonprofit and what they want, right? So a board member, like, cause this goes to, um, sort of agency theory stuff again, which is really fun when we talk about agency theory stuff <laughs> yeah, is that yeah. what does a board member want out of the nonprofit? Like they're, they're there for a couple of reasons. They're there because they want to help. They're, they're interested in this particular cause and, or they're working for a company that requires them to be on a board and they found this nonprofit to be the least offensive. Right. So the, one of those things is probably true. And, and the reason that they, and they, they don't want to be embarrassed. Like they're underlying. If you go all the way down to the bottom, like they want the problem to be solved, but they don't want to be embarrassed. They Absolutely. don't want to be the board member on the board of the nonprofit that imploded because of terrible management and no revenue and all these other things. Right. So that's kind of Absolutely. their base motivation there. Executive director's base motivation is a lot of times about the mission, like they're passionate about the mission or they wouldn't be in this space at all. They want to do a good job. They want their board to think they're doing a good job but to continue to employ them. And so they're, they're more worried about the organization itself and whether or not it's being perpetuated. So yeah. are we going to be able to make our budget, you know, do our, do my, do my figures, like whether it's program related or budget related, do those does that information support what we said we're going to do in the strategic plan? So there's that calculus between, you know, are we overreaching? 
are we, you know, it's not about necessarily solving the problem. It's more organizational. And so an executive director's instinct a lot of times, and this is, we've seen this in other questions about like, why, why does management work the staff to the bone and treat them badly and make them do unpaid labor and all these other bad things is because the, the underlying motivation of the executive director a lot of times is to make the organization continue to exist and to be able to meet their metrics. And, and one of the ways that you can do that is by underpaying staff, because then you've got more money to say that you met your revenue goals, right? right? We ended with a surplus instead of a loss, which looks better for the executive director, right? And so the, the board in some cases may actually be more generous with staff than the executive director would. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so the, mm-hmm. that's, that's where I think the interface between what the board thinks and what the staff thinks could be really, or what the ED thinks could be really, really interesting because the ED is going to want to sort of press down salaries to make it so that we don't end up with a loss. And the board wants people to like them. <laughs> they they want to work for an organization that is successful. Right. So I think those well, are, I mean, this, those two things kind of compete against each other in an interesting way. So, you know, maybe, I don't know. I'm laughing though. I when you talk about like I'm sort of chuckling inside because I also think you could totally flip what you just said, and both are accurate from what we've seen out there. You also have boards that go, "Oh God, yeah, like staff salary increases mean we're going to be more on the hook to fundraise and like do our job like with fundraising for this organization." Like, oh no, like we don't want to do that. Like, I mean, I could see it happen like that, and an ED going wait a minute, my staff are burned out. I can't lose another staff member. This is killing us. Like, like, so I think there's so many facets and so many things that like kind of. So here. It, yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, you look like, yeah. Let like, me ask are you, you this really, though. It, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Just in your experience, I want to know, like when you see, because boards set ED salaries and right. EDs a lot of times set staff salaries, right? Right. Who's more generous in your experience? For, in my experience, it's always the board. The board is always way no, more generous with the I would ED agree than with the you. ED is with I staff. I would agree with you. I would agree with that. Absolutely. And yes, they're more generous. And I would say 90% of EDs I know who've gotten that generous bump have said, well, that's great. Now I get to go have more responsibility on my shoulder to fundraise for my new increased salary because my board doesn't do crap. <laughs> I mean, I'm just being real. Right. It's very easy to dole out a really big salary. Oh, here's your big salary bump. Yeah. But, we, but yeah. I've seen that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> did we answer the question? I don't know that we answered the question. I don't know if we did. Like, I think we just, what? I think we just complained about I organizational think we, we did. Who at your agency makes the decision about staff raises? But no, I'm, I think the bottom line, right, is the board should just be <laughs> focused on the EDs. That, there's the bottom line answer, right? So we'll bring it, we'll bring it back around. Okay, Stacey, who do you look up to in the podcasting space? It's a this is a meta question, right? It's not about nonprofits, Ooh. about podcasts. Which podcasts, hosts, or series do you get inspiration from, either by content or style? Do you have podcasting mentors or heroes? Oh wow! Well, I'm so I'm so sad. I think I'm going to disappoint the person who wrote this because I, I don't have any podcasting mentors or heroes. <laughs> I guess you know, for me, Andy, I would say that. The podcast, and I can share the few that I listen to. I 
I think that like if there were more hours in the day, I would probably become like a podcasting addict because when you find a good one, it's addicting, right? Like, but um, there's just never enough time. But um, I, I think for me, it's it's just much more about the personality of the podcast host and what I'm looking for out of a podcast. So I think you find those people who are looking for pure comic relief or entertainment. And I would love to know what theirs are because I certainly could use more of that in my life. Um, for me, I tend to listen to podcasts that that have have a mix of kind of, I learned something, right? Education, real life examples, uh, you know, kind of real life stories that that support whatever the topic is. And then actionable takeaways. I'm all about the actionable takeaways. So I think like you find these different people out there who just um, look for different things from podcast. And so um, anyways, I've got a handful of favorites, which I'm happy to share, but, but they're like, some are nonprofit related and some aren't. So one of them, uh, I love, I love Brene Brown, who anyone who follows her, right? Like, and I love how deep she goes, Unlocking Us podcast, just she goes deep and she's not scared to go deep and just have these really vulnerable, open conversations with her guests and really make them like kind of soul search during it, which I love. Um, I, there's another one that I'm semi-addicted to. It's by this, um, this scientist, like and and professor researcher, Dr. Lori Santos, and it's called the Happiness Lab. And I totally dig this because it it talks about the research on the science, like the science of happiness and things that we actually think make us happy that don't always. So it kind of debunks some of the myths. And then it talks about if you truly are looking for more happiness in your life, like here's this this strategy works better than what you think like another, like the common, the common typical sort of, um, you know, expectation or, or what you hear out there about, oh yeah, do more of this and it makes you happy. And most of the time it doesn't. So it's just kind of fascinating, like the human mind. I get deep into like human mind stuff. So I enjoy that. Um, and then I guess another, I would, I would say more in the nonprofit realm, Joan Gary, who's this national uh, consultant and, you know, author and all that jazz. I, I really enjoy her podcast, Nonprofits Are Messy, because I think that says it all. And she brings in lots of different guest experts on topics. So so it seems like there's this theme of guest expert um, and just kind of real conversations, like people who it's not just fluff, but really like pulling back kind of the, the covers and really getting raw and real about it. That's what I dig. Um, so certainly not like the showy stuff that is just, I don't know, doesn't have any real meaning to it. How about you? Yeah, I'm going to disappoint everybody. I, I hardly listen to any podcasts at all. I was like my, I used to, I used to listen to podcasts when I would go for runs. And then I realized at some point that that was, I was infringing on time that I had to think because there's not a lot of time of the day as most people know to just like be quiet and like, let your brain do what it's going to do. And so that the time when I'm outside running is the time that I use for that now, instead of listening to podcasts. Um, and I don't have a commute anymore, right? When I had a commute, that was like a perfect thing to do with a commute. Cause you don't want to listen to the radio or I can listen to some music maybe sometimes, but then like, yeah, maybe I'll do something a little bit different. Um, but I don't have a commute anymore. So that's all that time went out the window as well. And, and I'm not going to just like sit and put a podcast on. So I don't really listen to much at all. <laughs> 
<laughs> I feel like it's a disappointment. <laughs> the answer is a disappointment. Yeah, yeah sorry. I, I wish I wish I could tell you, like, I mean, I, I think it's also interesting. I'm curious to know if anyone else runs into this who does listen to podcasts. So because I like to learn and have actionable takeaways when I listen to podcasts, like something I can implement fairly quickly or start implementing. When I do it and I'm driving, like most people, right, I think listen to podcasts when they're driving or when they're walking or running, to your point. And, And I really struggle because it seems great in the moment during that walk or or that drive. And then I get to the next meeting and kind of go on about my day and never do it. So so I actually have started to think a little bit about how I'm not sure it's actually an effective use of my time. It like, maybe I need to go and try something totally new, like, and be like, I want this for pure entertainment value. So there is no to do with it because I'm not doing a good job with the to do's. Like here I am saying, I really like these like actionable takeaways, but I'm like, yeah, that, I don't know, like whatever, for some reason that format sounds good in the moment and then I never follow up on it. And so then I'm kind of like, okay, well, let's come up with a different like podcast genre for Stacy because it's not working What's what I'm currently doing. <laughs> so this is, I mean, I since we've got a meta question, maybe we can ask the audience a meta question too. So like w- those of you, people are listening to this right now and probably thinking about their podcast consumption habits and like what they like and what they don't like. Um, kind of going back to the point of what Stacy and I are doing here. So the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits years ago, we decided that um, when I was still on the board, one of the things that we were having challenges with is we would do things like webinars. And Webinars are great, except that such a large fraction of the nonprofits in Nevada, you know, not most, but a large fraction of the nonprofits in Nevada um, are in frontier areas that didn't have access to reliable Wi-Fi and so couldn't participate on a webinar. This is what we, that's the feedback we got is like, we'd love to do these webinars because we want to know about these topics, but, but we can't participate because we don't have broadband. And then it's just like a slideshow and it sounds like, you know, bad AM radio. So we can't participate. So is there a mechanism that we could maybe provide, some, get some, our nonprofit questions answered? And one of the things that we thought about as Anne is like, well, what if we just did a podcast? Because then the, it's an asynchronous, right? The questions can come in and then periodically the podcast episode will come out and they would specifically answer the questions that people had. And so that's why Stacey and I have been doing this for the last 90 something episodes, right? Is is this was the mechanism to get some like interesting nonprofit conversations going um, in a way that that was available for everybody that had access to this medium. So thinking about what the initial point of it was like, how much of this, how much of this is good for you? Like, is this, is the podcast a useful, is this a good use of your time? And you've obviously decided to spend time listening to Stacy and I talk and you know, maybe it's because you're married to one of us and we're forcing you to do it, but, but there might be other reasons too. Right. So like, is there stuff we could do better? Like, is a podcast the best mechanism for this kind of thing? What other things would you like to see and do to be able to provide some of this detail as well? Like, you know, conferences in the last two years, they, you know, the conference nightmare of like, people just don't want to go because why would I, why would I put myself in danger to listen right, to people talk right. about nonprofit stuff, right? <laughs> that's a, that's an interesting calculus. And this is certainly a, a virus free way to get information. Um. <laughs> yeah, I've got, you know, I love that you're going down that path, Andy, because I, you and I talk about it a lot. I mean, this is, 
right? This is our time. Like we we prepare, some of us, I'm a nerd and I prepare, you know, I've got my my written notes when we do this that I glance down at to keep myself on track. And you work really hard on just kind of doing the editing and stuff. But but at some point I always wonder like, is this is this working for folks? Like, yeah, like, is this meeting their needs? Um, how do we, like, yeah, how do we create a format? Does the format need to totally change? I feel like the Q&A format's been a little unique compared to most of most of the typical traditional podcast formats out there seem to be, let's bring in a guest expert. And we do that, but we don't make that the sole focus. So, so I'd be curious to know, thoughts on that. Um, yeah. And, and just how we continue to kind of strengthen this for you, our, our listeners, cause that's what we're doing it for. And yeah, I, I, I hope people actually write in or, or reach out to us and tell us, cause it's always on my mind and, you know, n- none of us want to be spinning our wheels saying, are we doing this? And no one really cares. Right. And, and I'm also not looking for like a pat on the back. Like I truly want feedback, like, here's what I struggle with, with what you guys do, right? Or I wish you would be a little goofier or whatever. Um, I think we're pretty goofy, though. So I, I don't know if we would need that. Yeah, um, I don't think you know, that's the, a problem. I don't <laughs> think that's a problem. But, um, you know, and and I guess the other thing that's like more of a meta question, like, do when you do work all day, whatever your industry is, do you want to listen to a podcast that is tied to that industry? So just given the fact, right, like you and I both do consulting in different fashions for nonprofits, right? Different specialties. So I I struggle with, do I really want to think about nonprofit stuff when I'm not (laughs) doing like my work, like as a, as a consultant and, and I'm sure nonprofits feel this way too. Like, or do you really want a podcast to be a total escape, so it goes back again to like, what, what is your motivation for podcast? I'm sure, you know, there's a million different answers for it. But um, most of the time when I lean toward podcasts, they are non-related to, like there's no relation to nonprofits because I'm tired of thinking about it and working in this space. So I need a break. <laughs> I think it's one of the reasons that like Vuli, everybody loves when when Vulik has a new blog post or something, because it is so hilarious and so cathartic a lot of times and also challenging. So you read it and it's entertaining because you're like, yeah, that's exactly how I feel about that. Right. And at the same time, it's, there's always a little bit of a challenge in it to know you can do better. It's such an interesting thing. And it's the difference is it's not a podcast. Like would I listen to a half an hour of that uh, once every couple of weeks? Probably not. Like I don't have, I don't have time for it. And it seems like that's a lot of time to spend on, on that particular thing. So, so maybe it's, you know, for this to make this better, maybe it's transcripts, maybe it's, you know, better, more direct Q and a through, through the website or something like that. Let us know, like what, whatever you think would make this more interesting to you, make you more likely to come back or, or just make it more useful. I I think Stacey and I would love to hear that. And, you know, as always, there's a million ways to get connected to us from Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, um, email us at home, text, whatever. Um, and, and we, we want to be responsive to the audience. So let us know what we can do.
thanks everybody for listening to yet another episode of Nonprofit Everything. Stacey and I are really happy that you've joined us today. We appreciate that you've stayed all the way to the end to hear what absurd thing we're going to say at the end, um, because the end is always the best, isn't it? Right? The music at the end is the best and just waiting <laughs> to get to the music. He is a little biased <laughs> about that, folks. So... <laughs> Just, just do you a want little to, bit. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to tell <laughs> we them get why? We no hate mail about the yeah. music. Well, like, well, when, when we, so music is expensive. So we've talked about this too. So, um, for example, um, Iron Maiden has this awesome song called run to the Hills, which is, um, which they don't play live anymore, which is a disappointment um, because because it when you when you listen to the lyrics, you might understand why it was. Um, but but one of the things that we always talk about when people are complaining about how terrible their nonprofit is, is we just say run to the hills because that's pretty much the, your best option. So we looked into whether or not we could use run to the hills like as, you know, play it as part of the episode or use it every time we talk about bailing on your nonprofit job. It is so expensive to do that. Um, so having any kind of copyrighted music is, is just seems like it would be too much money for us. So the intro and outro music and the bumpers in between were things that I made poking around on synthesizers. So, which is why they sound so terrible, um, which is why we always talk about the music as being, um, special for this particular podcast. So that, so that, so yeah, if you hate the music, let us know. Um, and maybe you could come up with something better. We'll, we'll, we'll take, we'll take submissions for intro and uh, bumper music if you've got them.